0: Good morning. I was just that's the first time I saw, saw that video. I'm thinking, when we get together, we get in the Bible, that's the word, eh. <laughs> Not bad, huh? Right off the top. <laughs> okay, we're in Exodus 11 and 12. We're going to also be taking communion and, and this uh, passage... Couldn't have a better one to prelude us taking communion this morning. So would you stand? I'm going to read just a few verses. I want to honor the Lord in standing as we read the word. In Exodus 11, the first verse says this, And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Verse 14. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Now, there's a passage that comes to mind that I'm gonna, I want to sort of begin with to keep us in a little bit of thought when we take communion. It's in, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 7 and 8. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump since you are unleavened. Now, a lot of us feel just like lumps, but this is a new lump, okay? For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let's pray. So, Father, here you said... The truth will set us free. And, Lord, your word is truth. So we are going to be in your word this morning, and we know that our faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We know that your word is like a sword. It's able to divide between the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And as we're, Lord, going through this, and then we're going to take communion and come to your table, help us to examine ourselves, to look into our hearts in the context and the foundation of what you have accomplished for us through Jesus for our sin, past, present, future. You want to sanctify us as your people, a a holy nation called out of darkness into your marvelous light. So Lord, if there's anyone also here that's not in that relationship that only comes through the gospel, that only comes through Jesus, our Passover lamb, if there's anyone watching, anyone here that doesn't know you, our prayers as those who know your love know your forgiveness, know your freedom, are praying that they also would be able to enter into that relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ, please. So bless this time in your word now, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So the Lord's Passover, chapters 11 and 12, is a lot of verses. We're not gonna read all of them, but I'm gonna read a good portion of them. Here's a little little, uh, outline of what we'll be looking at. The prelude is the word of God. The provision is the lamb, the application is the blood, and the celebration is the feast. So this is the the Lord's Passover. The prelude is the word of God. So we've already been looking at this. This talks about the revelation of God and the responsibility of man. So what leads up to this event? It's the word of God. Everything in Genesis, everything in Exodus, and it will follow from this, this event that's the main event of God's speaking and revelation to not only Israel, but to the world. So the revelation of God, creation, fall, flood, nations, and then Christ. So we, in these books, before Genesis and Exodus, take us through these things. Now we're looking forward to the picture here of the Christ who would come, our Passover. So we looked at, and I'll let you go to those studies There's this earthly confrontation we're looking at in Exodus. There's a heavenly confrontation, and there's a purpose to publicly manifest the mighty power of the Lord God. In fact, in our chapters this morning, he says he's judging the gods of Egypt. So there's a spiritual judgment that's coming through a Pharaoh who will not soften his heart to the Lord. So we get in this prelude, chapter 11, the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out altogether. Pharaoh did not do this willingly. Would you say amen to that? (laughs) He didn't want to do this. He was standing up against God, but forcibly, why? Because there was absolutely no repentance in the heart of Pharaoh. He was an unrepentant, powerful man. Speak now in the hearing of the people and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. The man Moses is great in the eyes of most of the people, only not Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't like Moses very well. He was challenging his pride. And so it says there, the Egyptians are more than ready to see the Israelites exit Egypt. They've had enough. And so in Exodus, look at 12, 33. The Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. They're saying, this is not getting better. Verse 36, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, thus they plundered the Egyptians. You might look at this as they're receiving 400 years of back pay from the Egyptians. Back to chapter 11 and verse 4. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord about midnight, I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry. Now remember, God answered the cry of the Israelites with Moses. Now Egypt is crying out throughout the land of Egypt, such was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. So the warning is clear, and now comes the culmination of God seeking to bring repentance to Pharaoh's heart and lead his people in the same. But Pharaoh had exhausted, listen, he had exhausted the mercies of God. We looked at that last one in our last study, that God is merciful. He's looking to be merciful. Pharaoh exhausted those things, and so All of this was avoidable if Pharaoh would just humble himself and repent. God would have turned from those things. He's not willing that any should perish. But Pharaoh would not, he did not. Verse verse 7, chapter 11. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. He's making it clear who are his people. The children of Israel. Now what's going to happen here is the birth of a nation. It's incredible. And so not because they were so different from the Egyptians. In fact, Joshua in taking them into the promised land in Joshua chapter 24 said, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. So they were just as involved in idolatry and all these things against God but they were God's people and he called them out and so there's also this this sovereign mercy of God toward Israel to now birth a nation the boundless grace of the Lord now it says there in verse 8 and all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me saying get out and all the people who follow you after that I will go out then Moses went out from Pharaoh in great anger. He has had enough also. And so God makes it clear who's really in charge. It's not Pharaoh. It's not Moses. It's God. Who is bowing down to who now? To God. Pharaoh refused to humble himself before God. I emphasize that because that's the emphasis in this story. God's saying to Pharaoh, humble yourself Repent, let my people go, let my people go. But verse 9, the Lord said, Pharaoh will not heed you so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and did not let the children of Israel go out of the land. The Passover prelude is simply this, revelation and responsibility. The revelation of God and the responsibility of man and that is the word of God. What he was saying to Pharaoh Pharaoh would not escape his responsibility in now hearing from God. And so the provision now, the second part, chapter 12. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. It is a new beginning. It would be, uh, this time would be in April, in the month of Abib or Nisan, after the captivity on their calendar. For us, it would be the month of April. A whole new calendar for you. This is a great New Year's message. The new year gives us, let's start again, a new year. Amen? And so, this provision was for a whole new beginning. Now, I want to say this gently, but I want to say it firmly. The Israelites never sought to revise their history. To say, no, no, that wasn't the beginning. This was it. no. This was the beginning that God designated for them. Our nation was founded in 1776, not 1619. And I say that gently, but that is the truth. And you can research that yourself if you bought into 1619, this project. A new book just came out again. And it's disturbing to me because they're trying to erase our, our history. We've got, America had, in fact, this whole thing. What, when God plagues a nation, what if it's our nation? What happens when it's our nation? But then when God delivers a nation, I believe that our nation was a gift from God to the world. Founded under God with an incredible constitution. And so that is seeking now to be erased as a lot of these things. And you know all these things. I don't want to keep saying that. But I want to say that gently. But if you have any questions, research it. You will find. That what God did in 1776 was an absolute gift to the world and to us. I often say, well, why was I born in America? I don't know, but I'm, I'm very proud of the fact, glad that I have been. Am I, did I say enough? Now, my new beginning was in April also. April 14, 1963. That was my new beginning with the Lord. Ten years old. I have it in my Bible. In fact, I have a Bible that I was given for that When was your new beginning with the Lord? It's when you put your faith in God's provision through Jesus Christ. So it says here, speak to all the congregation of Israel. This is the first time you find that word applied to Israel. In other words, the congregation is found four times in this chapter. The congregation of Israel. Israel as a nation of worshipers. We used to be that. Israel now the congregation... They were delivered to become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God told them that in Exodus 19. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Peter takes this up again for us. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation. Personalize this, if you would, with me. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who, loved love this, he called you out. When God called you out, what? Of darkness into his marvelous light. God did that. He separated you out to be a holy nation. Myself to be a part of a royal priesthood. Called us out of darkness. We who were once not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Peter emphasized the same thing. Mercy. Are you not thankful that God called you out? Now, sometimes when people call us out, it's not very comfortable. When God calls us out, it may not be very comfortable, but I'm telling you what, you respond to the call out of God, and this is what God gives to us. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. In, this is the inaugural Passover. It's the beginning of the celebration. This, the beginning of this provision that God made for them. The, now, listen, there were no priests, there, were no temp, there was no temple, and there was no altar. The house is what's emphasized. A household is emphasized. The household is emphasized. His house is emphasized. In other words, the father was the priest, the home was the temple, and the threshold, the altar. So, what's passing over the threshold of your house? I would speak to men, fathers. You have a responsibility, God given, to watch over your family, to be the one that's, in a sense, the priest, not that anyone, but before God for your family. There's protection there, there's forgiveness, there's purity, holiness, righteousness that should be in the house of God's people. And so in passing over, are these things secured in your home? Are they secured in my home? Is it a temple? Is it an altar where my life is worshiping God and sacrificing to God the things that are due to him? Your lamb, verse 5, shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, four days. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. The provision is the lamb. It is to be killed. That's the center of what is being what the Passover is. That the Passover, the lamb, the goat would be killed. A.W. Pink writes this, quote, The institution and ritual of the Passover supply us with one of the most striking and blessed foreshadowments of the cross work of Christ to be found anywhere in the Old Testament. It is its importance may be gathered from the frequency with which the title lamb is afterwards applied to the Savior, a title that looks back to Exodus chapter 12. So Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This is, this is prophetic in so many ways. But what really strikes me about this prophecy in Isaiah is in Matthew when Jesus is being tried to be crucified. While he's being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. He answered nothing. He had nothing to defend and nothing more to say. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. He shall, like a lamb to slaughter, he's not going to open his mouth. Jesus had fulfilled and said everything the Father had given to him already. And now it was the plan of God and the purpose of God that he would be crucified. So, this lamb, it must become a personal lamb. As you look at this chapter, in verse 3, it says twice, a lamb. And then in verse 4, it says twice, the lamb. And this is fascinating to me. I just found this out as I was studying for this time. In verse 5, it says, your lamb. And get this. I looked at a lot of different translations. In every one of them, this your lamb is only found one time in the whole Bible, and it's in Exodus chapter 12. The picture of the Passover. Passover. It has to become, Jesus must become your lamb. And he became the lamb of God when he came into the world. John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all pointing to him as that sacrifice provided by God for our redemption. It must be personal. Your lamb. Your lamb. It must be a perfect lamb. It shall be without blemish. A perfect representative of the species. That's why the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. They could cover sin, but it had to be a human being. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a moment. Knowing, Peter says, you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your former manner of conduct, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish or spot. It was to be, now here's another fascinating thing in the text here. It was a corporate lamb. It is only referred to in the singular in Exodus 12. The whole assembly will kill it at twilight. Jesus is the Lamb of God singular. There is no other. God had only one Lamb in view. It's the Passover Lamb prophesied through the Passover celebration. Exodus 12, 21, pick out and take lambs for yourselves and kill the Passover lamb. Singular. It was a lamb appointed to death. If you're a believer and have been received Christ, you can see so many shadows of the substance who's Christ that God's given to us through Israel in this incredible deliverance from Egypt, from bondage, into the promised land, eventually through the wilderness journey. God put it together to speak to the world about his provision it was a lamb appointed to death god told him to kill it and in doing so to be identified so it was a passover sacrifice of the lord it was his sacrifice john the next day john saw him the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world look at at verse 26 in chapter 12 it shall be when your children say to you what do you mean by this service why are we doing this that you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord. This is God's doing, God's provision. In Exodus twenty-three eighteen, it says, "You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice." Again, it says the same thing. In, again, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice made into. The world. In other words, God is saying, "This is my deal. This is my provision. The Lamb is God's sacrifice for sin." There is no other. And so it's interesting from the altar in Genesis chapter 22 where Abraham took Isaac up to sacrifice him on the mount that God would say. As he's taking him up the mountain, Isaac says, well, we got the wood to fire, but where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? It's the most incre- one of the most incredible prophecies in all the Bible. As it's act out, Abraham taking his son, his only son, up to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him in obedience to God. And then it says in Genesis 22, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. That is not accurate. It should be, just take four and double strike it. God will provide himself the lamb for an offering. God came in the flesh to die on a cross to pay the price for our sin. Take that into heart a little bit. Now it goes from Genesis 22 the altar, to Revelation 22, the throne of the Lamb. That's the full picture of what God did for us. So in G- Revelation 22, and he showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. There shall be no more curse, and if, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servant shall serve him. Brothers and sisters, that's what was coming. No curse. From the altar in Genesis 22 to the throne in Revelation 22 that closes out the Bible. The sacrifice is, first of all, Godward. God himself providing the substitute, just and holy, forgiving sin. He can't ignore it. He must punish it. And so the wages of sin is death. The Passover is the foreshadow of God's reconciling justice and mercy, Romans three twenty three. Many have heard it many times, but let's go over it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God, there it is, passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in him. There's only one sacrifice. There's one altar. There's one place where we find the justification by faith because Jesus accomplished the work necessary for God to forgive us. Say that again. Amen. And if we're going to take communion, I'm not done yet, but we're going to take communion. And what I'm hoping for myself and I, is that we just re-up, if you will, refocus on what Jesus did for us. We had no hope. We were in bondage to our sin in darkness in this world heading for destruction. And God provided for our redemption. God provided, let me personalize that, for my redemption, for your redemption. How? By faith in Jesus Christ. By applying the blood. So propitiation is the love of God, satisfying the wrath of God, and releasing the mercy of God. You put that up there. The love of God, satisfying the wrath of God, and releasing the mercy of God. That's what Jesus, the substitute sacrifice for our sins. Jesus took my place. He took your place. So the application, and this is an identification and justification. The Passover application, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Application is everything. God word, God's done it all. Now I must apply that to my heart, to my life. A lamb killed and the bloodshed addresses the Godward direction, but not the manward direction. There must be the application of Of the blood. Applied to the lintel doorpost and the basin. In other words, if you look at that, it's the cross. It's the cross. The picture there. Applying the blood to my heart. Kill the Passover lamb, chapter 12, verse 21. And you shall take a a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that in the basin and that is in the basin, and strike the lintel into a doorpost with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you should go out of the house, out of his house, until morning. You have got to stay there, stay under the blood. Apply with hyssop. This is interesting, also, because it's contrasted with cedars, mighty and powerful, in First Kings chapter four, verse thirty-three. So the hyssop is a sturdy but humble plant, if you will, in the hand of the sinner to apply it. To his house. It's in our hands to apply the blood to our hearts. And it requires taking hold of it humbly. Nobody comes to that cross with any kind of pride. You come humbly to apply that. Now that's connected to the sinner. Application is an identifying with the death of the lamb. Jesus came, the land of God, to give his life for us so that we might have life. Jesus is God's one and only provision to put your where you have your sins forgiven. You're delivered from sin, death, and yes, hell, to live forever in his presence. Amen. Again, taking that to heart this morning. What we have has been secured by God's provision in our application. By faith, applying what Jesus works. So. This is a a longer section of scripture, but I think it's important to read it because Jesus said in John chapter six, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of the bread, he will live forever. This bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give his flesh to eat? So they're thinking physically, cannibalistically, if you will, then Jesus said to them, "Most should I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you, shall, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, if you were listening to that, you're, going, you're probably, what? Jesus is going to address, he's going to clear it up. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the man and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue, as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained, they they were complaining complained about this he said to them does this offend you does this offend you what then if you should see the son of man ascend where he was before in other words if this offends you and then if you what you're thinking is you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood literally physically then what happens when i ascend and i'm not here how are you going to do it it is the spirit who gives life the flesh profits nothing The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life, but there are some of you who do not, what, believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him, even in own 12. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to do that. The, the, the granting is the application of the blood of God, the blood of Christ in repentance and faith towards God. Revelation, responsibility. In repentance from dead works and faith toward God. The granting is an according to God's revelation and then our responsibility. We looked at that last week in the sovereignty of God. So this identification is partaking of the lamb. The sinner identified with the death of the lamb. Verse 8. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. This, we must identify. Now it's the lamb that died on that night. In other words, the next night would have been too late. There would have been death. It's on that night. And here we have the purity the lamb. They shall eat the flesh with unleavened bread. He made him just be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteous of God through him. For 2 Corinthians. He was a pure lamb. He was a humble lamb. The humility of the lamb eaten with bitter herbs. Jesus said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. His sweat drops, as it were, of great blood. His sweat was actually breaking capillary. It was so intense. It wasn't fun. Oh yeah, no problem. No, he went what he went through is beyond our even begin to imagine. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled up with water, but roasted in fire. That means judgment. This is judgment. The penalty laid on the Passover lamb, roasted in fire. Isaiah says, surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Surely he has borne our sorrows and carried our grief. I skipped a little bit. He's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, turned, comma, everyone, comma, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Brothers and sisters, without the shed blood of Jesus applied, we are doomed to death and hell. That's the truth. Hell, people don't like talking about that anymore. Listen, hell is real, judgment is real, but Jesus took it all on that cross. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for us only, but also for the whole world. His accomplished work on that cross was so full and final and finished that whosoever comes to Him will find the forgiveness of a holy, righteous, just God applied to his or her life and set free from sin, death, and hell to live forever with God in eternity. Verse 10, you shall let none of it remain until morning and what remains of it till morning you shall burn with fire. There was no sign of the slain lamb in the morning. No sign. Kill it at twilight, which means between two evenings. And that's the, the fanta- That's exactly when Jesus was crucified. During this exact time when it was played out, it, when he was here and going to the cross, the exact day, God is precise in what he accomplishes. The precision by which he suffered and died for our sins. Placated the wrath of God. And so he says, on that, on that night, Jesus died at the exact appointed in time. On that night, all sin was dealt with once for all. On that night, for those in the house known the blood, they are safe. On that night, safe with anticipation that God would deliver. And that's what we put our faith in. For the death that he died, he died once for all. Hebrews, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, undefiled, separate from sin and become higher than the heavens who does not need daily as, as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the peoples for this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Again, once for all. Hebrews 9, not with the blood of goats goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place. What happened? He entered the most holy place once for all. That's what Jesus did. Having obtained eternal redemption. Hebrews 10, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That is precise and complete. Apply it. On that night, for those in the house and under the blood, there's safety and refuge and security. A place of safety for ours as we apply that to our own lives, our hearts. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy when I strike the land of Eden. It does not say when I see the house. It does not say when I see the person in the house. Notice that condition wasn't a condition of God passing over them. Whatever the condition of the house, whatever the condition of the person in the house, if they were in the house, God said, I will see the blood Pass over. so we have to in our minds again afresh continually say to us what does God say about the sufficiency of the blood not what I think or feel what does God say and my faith is built my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness I'm not going to trust any other thing I'm not going to try to philosophize myself into a kingdom of God no God said you believe what I've accomplished when I see the blood, it satisfies the wrath of God. It placates the anger against and the, and the need for punishment against sinners. That's what Jesus did for us, brothers and sisters in the Lord. The application, identifications, and believing Jesus is God, come in the flesh, therefore a perfect representation for us as humans who died on the cross and took our sin. secured our salvation it's the gospel plain and simple we're doing first john on wednesday nights if you're not coming i would encourage you to come and we were just talking about this a little bit of the team about what is john folk in fact greg you were the one that brought this into the conversation what's god talking about what's the central because john is not like paul he lays it out sort of you can outline paul pretty easy you try and outline john it's tough he, goes, he kind of circles around, Then he comes, and he, he's just like that, gospel and his letters. But what's the central thing in the book of 1 John? That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, think about that a moment, because we were talking about this, and I, I was just taken back by that, as Greg was sharing, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And when you begin to just meditate on that and think about that, listen, God became human. human and 100% God. So when someone denies that Jesus is God, there is no other place to go with their sin. There's nothing else to talk about. It's the application in identifying with what Jesus did because I needed forgiveness. I needed a savior. Do not believe every spirit. 1 John, but test the spirits where they are of God because many false prophets have gone into the world. Brothers and sisters, why would you want to go anywhere else? Why would you want to be like, well, I don't get it. I'm, I'm done. No, you can get it. We can get it. And we who have been saved get it. And we continue to, need to come back and apply it. Apply it. How? I'm identifying as a sinner with my Savior. First, first John 5. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he has testified of who? His son. He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. Revelation, responsibility. And this is the record. It's the record. It's historic. It's provable. That God has given to us eternal life and this life is in his son. He that has the son has life and he that has not the son of God has not life. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the son of God. So we're not going to spend a lot of time here but in wrapping up and going to communion. The fourth thing is This is a celebration. It's the Passover celebration, which means redemption, salvation, and sanctification through the Passover lamb is ours. So this day shall be to you, verse 14, a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast. That was celebration time. A feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast, as an everlasting order. This is the inaugural and You're going to do it every year. To remember, to drive it home. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off. In other words, this Passover lamb from the first day for seven days, this celebration would last. And in it, the the leaven was removed. Why? Because leaven is a type of sin. It's a picture in the Bible of sin. Then this re, this celebration was of redemption and sanctification from sin. The feast couldn't start until the lamb was slain. But as that happened, and then the celebration, so we started Corinthians purge out there for the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, and you are. As you are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We are now able to put away sin in our lives. We are now, we should be always putting away sin in our lives as believers. Sin always destroys the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Always destroys our fellowship, not only with God, but with one another. When Paul's writing the Corinthians, we'll read, I'll read a part of it in a minute. When he's writing the Corinthians, he talks about communion. He says, you're coming to the table as though this is kind of a party. When you ought to be coming and examining yourself to realize that how you live and how I live Matters. And the things that are in my heart and the things that are going on are going to affect not only myself but the body of Christ, the church, and those whom you love. So we must always be aware of it. A little leaven, Galatians. A little leaven is a whole lump. Sin always corrupts silently, insidiously, progressively, and if not dealt with completely. It will always hinder our worship and joy. If we have a careless walk, if we have these associations with evil, if we have a worldly mindset, if we have giving into fleshly indulgences, it's going to ruin what God's seeking to do in your life and my life. Of sanctifying us as a holy nation, a royal priesthood, saved from sin. So, as I looked at this, the sinner identifies with Jesus in his death, which is symbolized in baptism. Whereas the saved, the saint, identifies with Jesus in his death, remembering it in communion. And so, as we take communion as believers, and this In fact, as you look over the the rest of the chapter, you'll find that God said, these are ones that cannot participate. In other words, it's exclusive in being in relationship as God's person or God's people, is what he says. And so in saying that, we apply that. The sojourner, hired servant shall not eat. The foreigner shall not eat. The congregation Israel shall keep. And that applies now as we take communion this morning. This is not for you who have not come into Jesus Christ in repentance and faith to acknowledge your sin and then apply the work of Christ to your life and be saved. You see, if you take the communion emblems, what we're remembering, what we're celebrating, is that Jesus died. His body was given. His blood shed. And we're taking and we're partaking of those in remembering him. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We're remembering what he accomplished, what he did. And we're saying, that, that's what I needed. That's what communion is. This is what God did and that's what I needed. And I entered into this relationship with God and into this place in, the, in his church in the body. But if I take it, I haven't done that. That I'm actually drinking, Paul says is damnation to myself. And we don't want that for you. What we want is what God wants. And that is that you would come to Christ even right now. And confess that you're a sinner. And you have nothing with which to offer God to pay for your sin. You don't. And that the wage of sin is death. But the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ. So I'm calling I I trust through the Holy Spirit that God's calling you out today. If you don't know Him, you have no hope of forgiveness and relationship with Him until you come to Christ. He's the one lamb provided by God, the Passover lamb. And He loves you, died for you, and He would want you to come and be a part of our family here, Christ. So that's in baptism. Paul says that in Romans. Do you not know that you were baptized in Christ? So once you come to Christ, your, de- you are, your old life is, is gone. How many would say amen to that? We're a new creation in Christ. But then once we come to Christ, now it's necessary to put off the things of the flesh. So I, 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 I trust this is from the Lord this morning as I was preparing. I felt like the Lord would have all of us just examine ourselves. Because Paul says, examine yourselves in the area of the sanctification work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And are you hindering that? Are you in God's way with that? There's only one answer. If you, in whatever area it is, it's to come to the cross again and bring your sins to Christ again that's how you began having begun in the spirit are you going to be perfect by the flesh no having begun, you came understanding spiritually your need and God forgave you and you came into a relationship with him and yet I know for me there's a need Jesus even said that at the last supper before he went to the cross as he knelt down before his disciples and he went around washing their feet on that night and Peter says you're not going to wash my feet and Jesus said if I don't wash you have no part with me Peter said, then start with the head and go all. No, no, no. Jesus said, He was bathed he's only to wash his feet. No, in other words, communion is that sense where we're having our feet washed afresh again. Because you walk through this world, it gets dirty, it gets mucky, it gets confusing, and it gets hard. Brothers and sisters, Jesus, Jesus is God come in the flesh for you. The eternal God is our refuge. The place we find that relationship renewed and restored and washed is at the blood of the feet of Jesus at the cross. So can we do that as the M's were passed out? Please hold them. I'll lead us and take them together. But as you hold them, as we're singing this song, that I ask Sophia to lead us in? Because I was our, this this came to mind. My sin upon a shoulders. Why should I be a part of the reward? I have no answer. As we sing this song, can we bring our hearts to the Lord this morning? You individually, me, you say, Lord, wash me, wash me afresh.